welcome to the preaching ministry podcast of Mount Pisgah Baptist Church in Easley, South Carolina. Our goal is to exalt the Savior, evangelize the sinner, and encourage the saint through faithful exposition of God's Word. If you got your Bibles there, I want you to grab them and turn to Nehemiah chapter 4. Nehemiah chapter 4. We have systematically been walking through the book of Nehemiah. We started in chapter one and verse one, and today we find ourselves in the fourth chapter. We've entitled this series that we've been preaching Against All Odds. Here's a bunch of ragtag Jewish folks that have had a very difficult time for the last 100 years, really, and they are taking on this tremendous task of rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem. It seems that there is no way that this group of people could ever accomplish an endeavor like this. Yet, against all odds, God is going to do it, but he's going to do it through his people. And that's often how God works, is he works through you and I who are willing vessels, and he accomplishes things for our good and for his glory. And so this morning, as we think about the people of God that have taken on this great task of rebuilding the wall... I want to preach on this subject, overcoming opposition, overcoming opposition. Without a doubt, every time you begin to take a step forward with the Lord Jesus, and whether it be individually or corporately, you begin to seek out to complete the work that God has put in front of you. Without a doubt, there is always some opposition. And this morning, what I want us to learn is how then do we overcome opposition? Nehemiah is going to give us a great example of how to overcome opposition. Now, let me just bring us up to where we are here in Nehemiah chapter four. You see, God's people, his chosen people, it's those folks, the Jewish nation that God would use to permeate the world with the gospel. And he has used them time and time throughout history. And God's delivered them over and over and over. Let's go all the way back to the end of Genesis and the beginning of Exodus, where God's people were in bondage in the brick pits of slavery in Egypt. And for 400 years, they found themselves enslaved in Egypt. But God sent Moses and he delivered them out of the hands of the Egyptians and through Joshua brought them into the promised land. And while they were there in the promised land, things were good for a period of time. They had the period of the judges that you can read about in your Bible. And then Israel decided they wanted a king. And so God told Samuel, anoint a king. And it was Saul who was the king. Saul was a disaster as a king. But then following Saul came who? King David. King David, likely the greatest king in the history of Israel. And after David, Solomon came on the scene. And we know under Solomon that a civil war took place and Israel became a divided nation. There was a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom of Israel, whose capital was Samaria, was overrun by the Assyrians. Some years later, the southern kingdom of Judah, whose capital was Jerusalem, was overtaken and conquered by the Babylonians. Remember, the Babylonians came in, tore down the temple, tore down the walls, and left Jerusalem in ruin and took captive the people of God. 
And for some 70 years, they were in Babylonian captivity. But now God has delivered them again. And they have returned now to Jerusalem to take on an enormous building project. And they've got to rebuild the temple and then they've got to rebuild the walls. Ezra led the effort to rebuild the temples or the temple. And now Nehemiah steps on the scene and he begins to undertake a monumental task of rebuilding the wall. And he is doing exactly what God has called him to do. And in the midst of him being obedient to what God called him to do, rebuilding the wall, he is going to face opposition. It wasn't long after Nehemiah got started building this wall that the enemy rose up. Somebody said it this way, where God is blessing, the devil is messing. And without a doubt, we've seen God Bless in a mighty way here, even in our midst, inside of our own fellowship. We're just a little ways out from taking on a major, major project of this children's building. And we are making a significant investment in the next generation. But it is this next generation that we absolutely must reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I can't think of a better place to make an investment than in the generation that is coming behind us that needs to hear the truth of the word of God. But let me say this to you, whether you take on a project individually for the glory of God, or we take on a project corporately for the glory of God, without a doubt, there will be opposition. And what we want to learn today from Nehemiah is how do you then overcome opposition? Let's stand together and read beginning in verse one of chapter four. If you're there, would you say amen? Bible says this, but it came to pass that when Sanballat, this is an enemy of God and an enemy of Nehemiah, when Sanballat heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth and took great indignation and mocked the Jews. And he spake before his brethren in the army of Samaria and said, what do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was by him. And he said, even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. So here's these two guys, Sanballat and Tobiah. They're, they're, they're essentially making fun of Nehemiah and the people of God and the project that they have taken on. And in verse four, Nehemiah begins to pray. We'll cover this in, in depth, but listen to the words of his prayer. Hear, O our God, for we are despised and turn their reproach upon their own head. Give them for a prey in the land of captivity and cover not their iniquity. Let not their sin be blotted out from before thee, for they have provoked thee to anger before the builders. So built we the wall, and all the wall was joined together under the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. 
Heavenly Father, I do pray that as we walk through this passage this morning, you would speak to us. Lord, you would help us to understand how to overcome opposition in our own lives and in the lives of a fellowship corporately. And then, Lord, at invitation time, I pray that we do business with you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Nehemiah chapter 4 is really Nehemiah giving us some of the specifics that happened while they were building this wall. As I said to you last week, in Nehemiah chapter 3, he essentially tells us that the wall has been built. But now, beginning in chapter 4, he's going to go back and give us some of the details of what took place while they were building this wall. And one of the details that he shares with us early on is that there was opposition to this wall. And so I want you to notice a couple of things with me this morning as we walk through this outline. Notice, number one, the ridicule from the opposition. The ridicule from the opposition. There was a British author named Thomas Carlyle that said this. He said, ridicule is the language of the devil. He also said, some who can stand bravely while they are being shot at will collapse when they are being laughed at. You see, what Sanballat and Tobiah are going to do is they're going to mock the people of God. They're going to ridicule the people of God. They're going to make fun of the people of God because there's no way that this group of people could take on a project as large as building this wall around Jerusalem. So they make fun of Nehemiah. Is that not what the world does today? Is make fun of Christians? I mean, I, 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 might, I might give my give my age away a little bit and maybe even a little bit of fleshly stuff that is in my past. But y'all remember, there's a show that used to come on Saturday night. There's a person on there called the church lady. Does anybody remember the church lady? Oh, good. Well, we thought that was funny, right? But essentially what they were doing is making fun of the people that are Christians. They're making fun of the people that would say Jesus is the only way to heaven. They're making fun of the people that would say that we should live a holy and a pure life. They're making fun of the people that would say we should walk worthy of our calling. And, and, and that's often what happens to God's people is the world begins to make fun of us. And when they make fun of us and ridicule us, it causes us to become discouraged and distracted. And that's exactly what the enemy is trying to do to Nehemiah is cause him to be a little distracted from the work that God had caused him to do. Now notice with me a few things about this ridicule. I want you to notice in verse one, the temper of the enemy. Verse one says, when Sanballat heard about it, watch this, he was what? He was wroth. He took great indignation. So when Sanballat heard that Nehemiah and these Jews were rebuilding the wall, that word wroth in the Greek means to wax hot. Now, if I tell you that somebody got hot, you know what I mean? When I think about somebody getting angry and wroth, I have a flashback of my father who is in heaven today. I was sitting on about the third row of a church at Dunning Baptist Church as a little boy. And sitting about three rows behind me was my daddy. I was doing what little boys sometimes do in church, Brother Michael. I was cutting up, 
talking to my friends, doing what I wasn't supposed to be doing, not paying attention, when out of nowhere, a hymn book hit me in the back of the head. And I turned around to see a rough man. Do you know what I'm talking about? Face red, eyes bulging. Y'all, y'all, y'all. That was back in the day where your daddy would drag you out of the service to the front steps. Wasn't nothing like timeout. Wasn't even, wasn't even a spanking. We talking about whoopings. And then dare you to cry when you got back inside. Now that don't have anything to do with the message, but man, I just, you know, it does me, it's just like therapy. I just talk about it and I get it out, right? Well, my father, I, I had provoked my father because I didn't know how to behave, but he knew how to hit the reset button. It was somewhere right back in here, right? <laughs> Sam Ballot. When he heard that these people were doing a mighty work for God, he was hot about it and showed his temper. Proverbs 29.1 says, an angry man stirs up strife and a furious man abounds in transgression. Let me ask you a question. The last time you just got hot, did you keep it between the lines? I got a text just a minute ago from a fellow that said, Pastor, we're listening on our way to Florida. Just pray that your sermon will keep my road rage down. <laughs> Often when we get that upset, we say and do things we end up having to go back and apologize for. Well, maybe I'm the only one, but there's the temper of the enemy. Notice with me, secondly, the talk of the enemy. Not only is he upset, but he's going to begin to try to discourage Nehemiah. And in verse two, he says, he spake before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, what do these feeble Jews do? They're going to fortify themselves, sacrifice. They make an end in a day. If they revive the stones out of these heaps of rubbish, which are burned. So there's not only the temper of the enemy, there's the talk of the enemy. And it's not the first time that Nehemiah's had to listen to the lips of a liar. Look back in chapter two and verse 19. The Bible says, when Sanballat the Hornite and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite and Geshem the Arabian heard it, they laughed us to scorn and despised us saying, what is this thing that you do? Will you rebel against the king? See, that's what the opposition does. They begin to run that mouth. They begin to jack those jaws, if you will. They begin to try to get in your ear and the enemy tries to get in your ear to discourage you and to cause you to be defeated. But the lips of losers is not a new thing in the ears of the people of God. Remember David? Remember David? He was gonna go against Goliath, right? And what is Goliath doing to the entire army of Israel? Jacking them jaws, man. He's saying, who are you, you bunch of weaklings? You're going to come against me? Who, who are you? And he's making fun of them. And because he made fun of the army of God, they were scared to death. And what would they do? Nothing. 
And then David shows up and says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine who's making fun of the army of God? I got something for him. I love David, don't you? I love him. And, and Goliath begins to make fun of him. And he says, you coming at me with that? David said, oh boy, I got something for you, man. Right? Think about this, Jesus on the cross. What did they do to him? They ridiculed him. They made fun of him. Because that's what the enemy loves to do is to ridicule people of God and God himself. Whoever said sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me have no idea what they're talking about. Because the ridicule of the opposition can often cause us to become discouraged. And that's where the enemy wants us because when we get discouraged, we become defeated and we quit. And we're no longer doing the things God has called us to do. They, and, and, and the enemy comes along and begins to tell you, they don't need you in the choir anymore. I know you sing in the choir, but they don't, they, they don't need you in the more, anymore. And the enemy says, why do you continue to teach that group? They're not listening to anything that you say. Why do you continue to work out in the parking lot? They've got enough help out there. Why do you continue to work with the kids? It's time for somebody else to have their turn. And the enemy tries every way possible to talk you into becoming distracted, discouraged, and ultimately defeated. And Sanballat asks about five questions here. And he says, what are these feeble Jews doing? And the key word in that is feeble. And what he is doing is mocking the people of God. He's just making fun of them by belittling the workers and the work. Because here's what he's essentially saying. There's no way that this bunch of feeble Jews can accomplish such a great task. There's no way. And you know what? If you were to ask Nehemiah, you know what he would have said? He's right. We can't do it. We ain't dependent on ourselves to do it. Nehemiah would say the God of heaven is going to work through us to accomplish what he, what, look, look, look back over at chapter two again and look at verse 20. Then answered I them and said unto them, the God of heaven, he will prosper us. Nehemiah would have said, yeah, we are a bunch of feeble people. There ain't much good inside of us, but there is one. He's the God of heaven. He's the one that's going to accomplish this. And I'd say this, there's no way a bunch of feeble people from down here at 101 Pisgah Road could ever make a difference for the cause of Christ on our own. There's no way we can take a step forward and accomplish what God has put in our hearts to do if we do it on our own. If we do it on our own, it'll be short-lived. It'll be temporal. It'll be of no eternal value. But if the God of heaven works through us to accomplish his will for his glory. Watch out because business is about to pick up. Y'all don't know whether to golf clap or football clap, do you? <laughs> he says, these, these feeble Jews. Then he asks another question. He says, are they gonna fortify themselves? He's essentially saying, and he's asking are you going to do this all by yourself? Because Sanballat and Tobiah had come to him earlier and said, look, if you really want this to happen, if you really want this wall to happen, you need us. And we've, we, we've got the, the resources, we've got the provisions, we can make it happen. And what you're going to find out is Nehemiah said, nope, I'm not interested in your help. 
And there were zero of the foreigners that were allowed to do this. Now that's not being, being uh, racist against Nehemiah. Nehemiah said, if God's gonna do this work, God's gonna do it through his people right here. We don't need the enemies that are surrounded us to come in here and help us. Because what Sanballat wanted to do was infiltrate. And if he could infiltrate, then he could have a demoralizing effect on the people of God. He, he then asks the third question, will they sacrifice? This is a direct attack on their faith. But sin in our world today is not mocked. The saved are often those who are mocked. And so you take courage that you are not alone that the enemy's playbook has not changed. You know why the enemy continues to try to discourage God's people and defeat God's people? You know why he continues to run the same play? Because it works, right? I mean, if, if, if this fall, we turn around and throw a sweep to the right to Will Shipley and he runs it for a touchdown, you know what I think the first play we ought to call the next time is? A sweep to the right with Will Shipley. Let's say they run it a second time and he scores another touchdown. Well, then they run it a third time and he scores another touchdown. What are we going to do next? We're going to run it until what? Till they stop. Man, are y'all awake out there? Does anybody know football season ain't but about 60 or 90 days away? <laughs> They're going to run the same play. Why? Because it works. The enemy keeps running the same play over and over and over against God's people to try to discourage you and distract you so you'll quit. But greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, amen? He says, will they make an end in a day? He questions the very dedication of these workers. Are you really dedicated to this work is what Sanballat was asking. He suggests that their enthusiasm had caused them to take on a project that they could never finish. And then he says, will they revive the stones out of these heaps of rubbish that are burned? Now, these walls that they are rebuilding were made of limestone. And limestone would have been weakened by fire. And now Sanballat and Tobiah are, are, are making fun of the material that they're using on the wall. And he's saying, what you are trying to do is impossible. God ever, tried, ever called you to try something that seemed impossible? That's when he is at his best. If you would have told me 10 years ago that God would have done what he's done in this place in the last 10 years, if you would have told me that what I believe God has for us in the next 10 years, it, it, it would blow our minds what God has done and what I believe God is going to do. And I, I just say it this way. I know this, going, this might mess some of you up, but I just say it this way. I hope we take on projects so large that if God doesn't do it, we look like the craziest people that's ever lived. Let me say that again. I hope we take on projects so large that if God don't do it, we look like the craziest people that's ever lived. You say, preacher, what's wrong with you? 
Well, I just believe in a God that can do exceedingly abundantly above all I could ever ask or think. Amen. And so I want to listen while I got breath in my lungs, Jeremy, I want to make a difference for the cause of Christ. Well, God still allows me to stand and open this book and, and make an impact for the cause of Christ. I want to do what he wants me to do. And I don't want to get discouraged by, by the enemy. I don't want lying lips and people jacking their jaws to discourage me from doing what God's called me to do. And you, what God has called you to do, don't don't let the enemy whisper in your ear. Don't let the sand balance and Tobias get in your ear and tell you that you can't because you are more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ and he can use you to accomplish his will for his glory. There's things individually God's called you to and it makes you nervous. Some of you may be sitting in here now and God's called you to be a, pre a preacher, called you to ministry. It's time, it, you ought to just go ahead and surrender to it. There's other things God's put on your heart to do for your good and for his glory. You know what you ought to do? Just go ahead and decide today you're going to do it. Because when you do, watch this, the opposition will come. But Nehemiah is getting ready to tell us how to overcome that opposition. But before we get there, we see the temper of the enemy, the talk from the enemy, but then the taunting from the enemy. Bullies rarely act alone. And here old Tobiah shows up with old Sanballat, and he's got something to say too. Now Tobiah the Ammite, in verse three, was by him, and he said, even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. Tobiah's gonna do the same thing. He's jumped on the bandwagon of ridicule. And he's going to mock and make fun of God's people. And what he claims is this. If a fox go up that wall, that wall is going to break down. But what Tobiah is going to soon learn is, is this wall will not only survive the foxes, but it will survive the onslaught of the armies that come against God's people. And so we see here the ridicule of the opposition. But let's cover real quickly the response to the opposition. We know now that there's opposition. Every, anytime you step out in faith to do something that God has called you to do, there will always be opposition. But how is Nehemiah going to respond? And that's what we have to learn today. We have to know the opposition is coming and then learn how then do we respond. Now, Nehemiah is first going to respond with prayer. So I first see the prayer of the people. That's the first place we should turn when the enemy begins to whisper in our ear. But I want you to listen to this prayer that he prayed. Now, we're we, 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 supposed to love our enemies, right? But Nehemiah is getting ready to pray a prayer that is called in the Psalms an imprecatory prayer. We might say that if it was us, we, we might say, Lord... You know Sanballat and Tobiah has come against us. And Lord, I pray that you would cause them to not be able to have any power against us. But Lord, we pray that in your own way, you would bless them and help them to see the air of their ways, Lord. And, and, and I pray, God, you'd ultimately save them. And, and that, that'd be something we would pray, right? That ain't what Nehemiah prays. Listen to what Nehemiah prays. You ready? Verse four. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. And here's what he prays. Turn their reproach upon their own head. Give them a little bit of what they've given. 
swear. I'm going to keep y'all here to one o'clock if somebody don't pick up what I'm putting down. Maybe I just ain't putting it down where you can pick it up. He says, turn their reproach upon their own head. Give them prey in the land of captivity. Eat them up. Have somebody else come along and wear them out. Don't you love Nehemiah? But it gets worse. Look at verse five. Look what he says. And cover not their iniquity and let not their sin be blotted out from before thee. He said, I pray they don't even know you. And they spend Christ's eternity. Just don't even blot out their sin. Now see, it'd be better for you to talk to the Lord about that than to say that to Sam Ballard and Tobiah. Because our flesh, all right, stay with me here. Our flesh, when the Sanballats and the Tobias come jacking their jaws, when the Sanballats and Tobias lying lips get to moving, what do we want to do? We want to get in the flesh, right? You ain't going to talk to me like that. Ain't that what we want to say? Now, I'm not going to fight you. I'll just shoot you, right? I'm not going to fight you. I'll get somebody else to fight you, right? But that's what in our flesh... We want a piece of you. You lying about me? I want a piece of you. So, listen, what's the most angry you ever get is when somebody lies about you. And you know it ain't true, and yet it's permeated. Nehemiah says, Lord, don't even blot out their transgressions. See, it'd be best for us if instead of retaliating against the Sanballats and Tobias, even when we're angry, we can pray. And you can go read Psalm 60. You can read some of the imprecatory prayers that David prayed against his enemies. Lord, take them out. Now, I, don't, I, I, I can't tell you with 100% certainty <laughs> that Nehemiah might have been 100% right here, but he was talking to the right person. Instead of running his mouth to everybody else about how upset he was over the lying lips, he began to just talk to the Lord about it. It's the prayer of the people. Because Nehemiah, listen, he is not requesting personal vengeance. He is praying for vindication of God's people. And his, ultimately desire, his ultimate desire is for God to be glorified and that Sanballat's actions be stopped. There's the prayer of the people. See, Nehemiah didn't spend a whole lot of time pondering on those words. He just went straight to prayer. There's the prayer of the people. There's the perseverance of the people. Look at verse six. After Nehemiah finishes praying, he says this, so built we the wall. The people were able to persevere in the face of this taunting because they knew they were doing the work of God. And their perseverance was established on the conviction that they were doing what God wanted them to do. And so instead of responding in spite, instead of cowering in fear, instead of licking their wounds, they just went to work. And they stayed focused on the task at hand. And the wall is now halfway finished. And they will persevere. And they will complete the wall. Why? Not only because of the prayers of the people, not only because of the perseverance of the people, but because of the posture of the people. He said, what do you mean when you say the posture of the people? Look at the last part of verse six. 
It says, we built the wall, the wall's half done, and the last phrase says this, for the people of God had a what? Had a mind to what? To work. The people of God had a mind to work. How many have heard this, that the mind is the battlefield? You see, when the enemy begins to attack, this is where he comes against us. And he runs his lying lips to us and it causes our minds to go a thousand miles an hour in the wrong direction. But Paul said this, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Because when we look at our great example, Jesus Christ, he was not distracted by the enemy. He was not discouraged by the enemy, but he stayed on task. As they falsely arrested Jesus, he could have easily become discouraged and said, no, that's enough. But he stayed on task. When they arrested him on those trumped up charges, he stayed on task. As they marched him up Golgotha's hill, he didn't get discouraged. He wasn't distracted. He knew the work that he had come to do. When they put those rusty nails in his hands and in his feet, he didn't become discouraged. He didn't become distracted. He was about the work that he had been sent to do. When he was hanging suspended between heaven and earth, he didn't get discouraged. He didn't get distracted. As a matter of fact, he pushed up on the nail that was in his feet and he took a deep breath and he said this, it is finished. And the Lord Jesus Christ, our great example, the one who lives inside of us, he didn't listen to the mocking of the enemy. He didn't listen to the ridicule of the enemy. He came to finish a work that he came to do. And he said this in the book of Philippians, he which began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. You just yield to the one who lives inside of you. You don't allow yourself to get distracted by the wiles of the enemy. You don't let yourself get discouraged with the words of the enemy. You just stay on task and let God do a work in you that will be completed for your good and and his glory. What's he called you to do? What is that thing God has called you to that is bigger than yourself? If you don't know the answer to that, can I, can I give you a suggestion this morning? Maybe find a spot in an altar and say, Lord, I know you've got something for me to do that's bigger than myself. Would you reveal what that is to me? That I may be busy about your business. It could be that you're here today and you know what God's called you to. And today's the day to surrender to that. Could be that you're here and you know what God has called you to and the enemy has just begun to wear you out. Once you find a spot in an altar and say, Lord, help me to no longer listen to the lies of the enemy. But help me, Heavenly Father, to yield to you so that you might finish the work that you have begun. And it could be for us corporately, as a church body, as we take on the task that is in front of us. Some of us need to just find a spot on an altar and say, Lord, help us as a church, as a corporate body of believers, help us, Heavenly Father, to not get distracted. Help us to not get discouraged in the 
in the fight. But Lord, you accomplish what you want to accomplish through this local body of believers. And you do the work because we know we can't without you. Overcoming opposition. There's the ridicule of the opposition, but then there's the response to the opposition. How are you going to respond today? As we stand to our feet, we're going to have a song of invitation. Heavenly Father, I pray now that Lord, you would speak to the hearts of your people. And Lord, we do business with you. Whatever decisions need to be made, I pray God you would work like only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. You come. Thanks for taking the time to listen to the preaching ministry podcast of Mount Pisgah Baptist Church. If you'd like additional information, please visit mtpisgah.cc.